0: itunes presents meet the filmmaker at the apple store
1: good afternoon ladies and gentlemen welcome to the apple store soho we're very very excited to have you guys here and have our guests this evening for a really cool event ladies and gentlemen please welcome josh dorfman and this afternoon's guest moderator senior editor of icarazzi and co-founder and editor-in-chief of vegdaily.com michael parrish dudell Hey everyone! Thank you so much for for coming out today and uh, and for being here to listen to this lovely talk. This is Josh Dorfman,
0: hello, the thank very you for famous,
1: well known lazy environmentalist. Um, so for everyone out there who's watching, um, Josh and I have, have worked together before. We did something at the Go Green Expo a year ago, a panel. And I know that Josh doesn't like to know the questions in advance, so Josh has no idea what I'm going to ask him. But uh, let's let's see let's see how you do. First, I want to talk about you know when you meet people originally, a lot of them are not so keen on being green. They're kind of, in some cases, actually against the idea of being environmentally friendly. And as an environmentalist, lazy or not, that must really kind of irk you. How do you deal with meeting these people who really don't care much about their impact?
0: So I should just say that that the lazy environmentalist itself comes out of a a dialogue that I started creating about five years ago. And the very brief story is that before the, the, the lazy environmentalist it uh, came about from a furniture company that i started called Vivavi, which the intention was to combine modern design with eco-friendly materials, and I was very committed to quite literally making green as attractive a choice as possible and using design to do that. Well, after about a year of doing that in Washington, D.C., I was moving the company up to, to New York, and I had one employee at the time, and on our last day working together, because she wasn't going to make the move to New York, she really... Called me out for being a really crappy environmentalist, you know. She was like, I just don't understand. I mean, you've devoted your life to this, but you are always in the shower. You like never recycle. Like you really, really suck, you know, and explain it to me. And so it took me a couple days to figure it out, but it actually the the concept that I came up to describe myself was lazy environmentalist. I care. Global warming to me seems very real, as do hundreds of other environmental challenges. But I do my best thinking in the shower. That behavior is probably not going to change as much as I'm using water and energy to heat the water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you give me a great low-flow showerhead and a solar panel to heat it and make it affordable, I'll embrace the solutions. So when I meet people who are resistant to change, um, I'm pretty empathetic. You know, I, it's, I, I just feel like what we're trying to do on the show and what the lazy environmentalist is trying to do is to understand and just acknowledge the reality of our society, that we are so accustomed to convenience. And rather than trying to change that reality, which is so hard to do, we're trying to work within it to figure out how can we be as, as effective as possible in getting people to make environmental choices. So I've learned to not be quite so irritated. And I should say, too, that I actually, before I even started this whole thing, I did go through an activist phase. I did. Um, get very concerned about what I was seeing in terms of our consumer culture um, and, and parts of it that seem rather mindless to me uh, in our throwaway society. And I was attending World Bank protests and IMF protests, and, and uh, largely I came to a place where I just started to feel like, you know what, the only thing that my anger is doing is, is making it so that like, everyone who's close to me, from my family to my friends, just do not want to hang out with me at all you know i walk into a room and they're like oh here he comes again and make me feel terrible and it was like i don't want to feel this way myself and i want to figure out you know how i actually get people to change because my anger wasn't doing it and i thought there has to be a better way so i have a lot of empathy for uh, those who are resistant to change
1: yeah, that's great. You know, oftentimes there isn't always a green solution that someone feels comfortable with, you know? So when someone faces a problem that maybe there isn't a great green solution to or something they're not comfortable with, what kind of advice would you give them? Do you say stop the, the, the issue altogether or do you encourage them to kind of go on a leap of faith and continue to try the green product? What's the method for that?
0: So I think one of the things that, that may differentiate our show... Um, in our point of view, from some other environmental content, is that we are willing to fail. You know, our our perspective is: I want to see what green solutions work in the real world, and I want to see. So I want to see: is it is it really a solution? Um, There is we were talking earlier, we we do a segment called Lazy Camper on the show, and it's it's shocking. I was really I I thought when we were when we were even kicking around the notion of, of lazy camper, I thought this is just it's an oxymoron. Everyone who camps is is like inherently green, and yet we we very easily found a family that when they go camping, they bring their microwave and their Their laptop and their DVD player and their iPod and their grill, and they've got a generator running it, and they have a propane tank, and all this stuff. And, um, you know, you get into those kinds of situations, and the alternatives are like, well, try a solar oven, try some of these solar things. Well, the reality is, like, they tried them, and it's an amusing segment. It's an unfortunate segment, but those things don't work very well, at least for this family with their needs. And the conclusion on the show was maybe these just aren't really solutions yet. And from, you know, one could say, maybe you should stop camping this way, but that's not our show. Because even if I said it, they would still be doing it. So we're willing to accept that, you know, often we succeed, but sometimes the solutions aren't there yet. And, to me, that's, I'm not thrilled with that, but I can accept it because I don't believe that what we're talking about is perfect change. I just think we're trying to make steps down the road because we really are at the beginning of this process. Despite the fact that our, the media has been talking about it you know, in a terrific way for five or six years, America is still really just at the beginning of embracing green and the real transition that's going to take place. And that's going to take a long time. Yeah, you mentioned those,
1: those campers, and obviously they haven't seen it yet, but that's, that's a really incredible episode. And that, that actually leads me to the next question, which is you obviously have lots of challenging guests on the show. Is there, a, is there one particular guest that might ring out in your memory as someone who is the most challenging?
0: Well, a lot of them are Challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's a good question. The um, you know it's funny. The the one I think it's the first episode or the first or second episode we do we we try to green a fashion designer in LA, and really green her so that it's not um, there's nothing superficial about it. It's really saying okay, show me the materials that you use. I want to find you alternatives that have the same hand, um, the same color, and yet are going to be environmentally responsible. Now this is a woman, uh, Nani Tochterman, who will design for like. Paris Hilton. She had a party for Paris Hilton in her store like the night before we were filming. So this is her crowd, and you know she was tough. She was really tough. We had to stretch. We actually had to go find like additional places to take her, d- additional things to show her because she just was so resistant to change. And she's like Israeli, so you know, I mean, she's pretty. She can be very, very stubborn in that wonderful Israeli way. Um, and she laid into me quite a bit. So. It's fun to work with people like that, because it raises everybody's game to try and you know, really see, can I get this designer to work with hemp? And it's interesting to see what happens at the end of the show. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that we really are at the beginning
1: of this movement. And uh, a lot of people know about it now, but we're certainly uh, just at the start. If you could kind of look at a crystal ball, look five years down the line, what does the green movement look like to you? What have we accomplished? What are we still struggling with? What, what's five years down the line for us?
0: Well, I, I, I think that uh, there's a couple of ways to look at that. You know, we're in 2010 now, and I was asked to write some articles as we moved into this new decade about what will happen in the coming decade. And you know, we thought about it and, and there was some, some comments about, well, you know is this the decade that green gets baked into the DNA of companies? We've come so far already in, in the first decade of of this century. What happens next? And the more I thought about it, from my experience and you know dealing with a lot of folks on this show um, and from the radio show I had on Sirius for a while, talking to lots and lots of Americans, you start to realize that realistically the change is going to take decades. And the, the, the challenge for the environmental movement is to keep pushing as hard as we can and yet have realistic expectations so we don't burn out. You know because when you don 't see the th- the change happening as fast as you want, it can be very frustrating so on the one hand, yeah, I think there will be a lot of significant change in the next five years and, and hopefully what will happen is that we will learn as a movement to communicate better about these issues uh, I, I think you know it's uh, terrific that green you know there's People like Thomas Friedman who writes op-eds for The Times and others will say, green's gone mainstream. And in some ways, maybe it has as a cultural conversation. But it certainly hasn't when you walk around this neighborhood in Soho and you pop into a store and you say, hey, I'd like to buy something made of organic cotton. It's not there. So green is not really mainstream in a way that affects our lives uh, on a daily basis. That, that will continue to, to move. Um, those options will become more available. But I think hopefully what happens over the next five years is that the environmental movement learns how to communicate these issues so that people feel like their direct self-interest is tied to green solutions. And if that starts to happen, then change, the pace of change will accelerate.
1: Yeah, one thing we were talking about before the segment was I kind of think that water is the next big topic in the green movement. The pollution of water, the 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 losing of the resource in certain areas, um, and and I would love to hear what you think about uh, the water issue and how much time we should use to focus on that and what our focus should be.
0: Well, the I mean, this is really it's an it's a. It's kind of a scary thing, the water issue, because for a lot of the, for those of us in the movement, uh, it's water is talked about as the next great environmental issue. The uh, you know even in the United States, there are there are there are thirty six states that are experiencing drought or have experienced drought in the, in the last few years. So this is not just an issue for continents overseas. This is very much an issue that is going to touch significant portions of the United States, um, and. This issue, even though it's not really top of mind for us, uh, because we, we're talk, we talk so much about climate change, greenhouse gas emissions, it might actually strike much quicker than the impact of greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. So it's, it's worrisome. What's great to see is that there are so many innovative ways, innovative, truly innovative products coming to market um, that would enable you... For example, there's something called like the... There's a product by by Brondel that uh, can just... You put something on your toilet that turns it into a dual, dual flush toilet. So you could actually choose to flush with less water. It's easy, lazy change. There's a new product from a company called FlowTender that takes all of the water from your shower, uh, from... I believe your dishwasher, and we'll channel it outside to water your plants. So that because something like if you, if you have a garden uh, or, or you have an outdoor lawn, on average about 30% of your water use is going to water your lawn. So there are these kinds of ways to say how do we really start to reduce the amount of water we're using without necessarily impacting the quality of our life. But this is certainly an area that more attention will need to be focused on.
1: Yeah, those both sound like great products. And But here's the one thing we're seeing in the green movement, I feel like, is a lot of products out there that are calling themselves green, this idea of greenwashing. And do you feel like the development of all these products perhaps takes away from the original goal of environmentalism, which is to consume less?
0: Um, what I believe is that w- what success looks like to me, the ultimate vision for the, envir- for, for the environmental movement to me is to be living in a, in ways as a society, as a civilization, that are in balance with nature, and th- when that happens, there is still going to be an economy, and there are still going to be major corporations. I suspect. Um, so there are those who would say that that green consumerism is an oxymoron. I mean, great thinkers like Paul Hawken has has said that you know relatively recently. My feeling is is that you know, it's a nuanced thing. I don't believe that what you say to people is, hey, throw away your old dishwasher and go get the green one. That just doesn't make sense to me. But I do think that you say to people, the reality is you one day will buy a new dishwasher. When you're ready to make that choice, choose the green one. Choose the more efficient one. So I, I think that it's, it's not like the lazy environmentalist saying consume, consume, consume. But what we are saying is that If there are ways, you know, when you are going to consume, since since we are a consumer culture and like it or not, that's the way it's going to be for a very long time, you know, yes, consume less. But consume smarter when you do. And also, I would say that there are services that aren't necessarily intended to enable people to reduce their environmental impact, yet do so. One, for example, is a service called Chegg.com, C H E G G. And if you're a college student, you know that textbooks can cost $800, $1,000 a semester. I mean, it's extraordinarily ridiculous. So Chegg will rent you textbooks at a fraction of the price, um, really save a lot of money um, for a student, and then enable the next crop of students the next semester at some other university to use those same textbooks. So overall, we're reducing the amount of trees being cut down for college education. Uh, It's not the intent to be environmentally responsible, yet it's an outcome, and people still get the textbooks when they need them. And we're seeing more services like that, which I think is very uh, promising.
1: Yeah. As far as products, you know, I deal a lot not only in the green world, but in the vegetarian and vegan world. And one thing that you point out in, in one of the episodes, I think from the upcoming season, is um, that cruelty-free very often isn't environmentally conscious. I think that's a really interesting point of view, and I think you're, you're, you're right about that in a lot of ways. I would love to know if you have any ideas that might be able to mesh the two worlds together. What's, what's kind of a, an innovative way to take both of those things and combine them?
0: So just to extrapolate on that that does come up at one point uh on the on during the season when we 're talking about cruelty free or a vegan a, a vegan option and and what we want to do on the show is is really delve into issues that don 't normally get discussed we don 't want to sugarcoat anything and we don 't want to avoid issues that are are tricky or perhaps uncomfortable so if you 're vegan and that means you 're really vegan to the you know well through and through, and in your shopping patterns as well, then you're probably going to be buying cruelty-free shoes and you'll be using some alternative to leather. And it's almost guaranteed that all, that alternative to leather is made from crude oil. So on the one hand, you're doing something great to protect animals, yet on the other hand, you're doing something that has a, a potentially harmful impact on humans. So how, how do you, how you combine the two? I'm not sure. But what I do believe, as the, as the lazy environmentalist, is that... You know, potentially both of those choices are better than the pair of shoes that are made from toxic stuff without any consideration for animals uh, or the environment. And I believe that what, we're, what we've got to do, or what hopefully we'll do, is make a more enlightened choice, one way or the other. It's like someone said to me, um, "Well, you talk, you, you support Walmart, and you know their use of, and, uh, the fact that they're making organic products available." And, like, you know, Walmart's a very controversial company in many ways. But the reality to me is that, like, look, if I'm a mother and I want to feed my kid organic milk and I can't afford the price of organic milk at some of the other supermarkets where it's sold and Walmart's making it available to me to make a better choice for the environment, certainly for my kids, well, thank goodness that that choice is available to me. And I would simply say, choose one, you know. Go to Walmart and get the organic milk. Don't necessarily get the conventional one. You, you know, go organic there, go organic somewhere else, do, you know, vegan, whatever, but let's make a conscious choice and move the ball forward and stop bickering about, you know, which one's ultimately the best. We're so far from that place in terms of, you know, living perfect lives. Let's just make better choices and keep moving, moving on. I mean, we're busy people.
1: Yeah, and I think that talks a lot about your idea of what effective activism is, and I really wanted to touch, touch on this uh, today because that's such an important part of what you do, and you have such a philosophy about that. Let's talk a little bit about um, what makes an effective activist for the green movement or for really any other movement and how one can best be effective at promoting and living their
0: cause. Well, I'll tell you what we do on our show, and I, and I think that the, 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 the what I've found to be effective and I think this goes for you know, you want to be authentic, right? You want to you want to come across from a place where a place from saying, yeah, I really believe this. This is this is my cause. This is who I am. But you don't want to be too authentic if you're gonna you know, um, whatever the cause, make people feel bad. If you're if you're going to be preachy, that kind of authentic place turns people away, or it turns the great majority of Americans away. So I think effective activism is saying, coming from a place saying, this is important to me, it may not be important to you, but I want to tell you why I think it should be. And I, and I think, with all that said, the key to being effective is figuring out how you frame issues in terms of people's self-interest. So if um, I want to get someone in an eco-friendly car, right, I have to figure out... Okay, what is important to you? Do you want to save money? Do you want better gas mileage? Do you want to go fast? You tell me what it is, and then I have to find the choice that that works for you. That's gonna that feeds your self-interest. Um, you know, and, and we we talk about. It. I mean, we've had a guy when I'm at my radio show. We had this guy Plasma Boy, John Whalen, up in uh, Portland, who has an electric. Um, 1972 Datsun, an electric car that he drag races, and he kicks the crap out of Corvettes and you name it, and it's like you know, it's fantastic. And we had him on my radio show and we had truck drivers calling up saying like I want to get that for my you know, my own pickup truck. Like I want to get that green. He's going fast, power you know, it was it it wasn't about the green, it was about the fast and the power. And I've just seen over and over again that when you frame green issues in this case in terms of people's self-interest what they want they're much more likely to go along with what you have to offer them.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, I know. I think the lazy Environmentals, Didn't it start? Didn't that name start in a blog entry? So obviously, blogs are a huge thing these days, and so is social media. Social media has kind of changed the world. How has social media played a part in environmentalism and in the movement that you're working in, or do you feel it has?
0: Yes. <laughs> the, I mean, to me, the, my, so last year I wrote this book, The Lazy Environmentalist on a Budget. And into that book is kind of what I'm describing here. It's mostly products that are cost-effective, that are well-designed, that enable people to, 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 when they're making a purchase, reduce the impact of their purchase. It's not a perfect world, but they're good choices. The last chapter, I actually wrote all about jobs because I felt that um, and how to get a green job. And in, and, and in that discussion was largely saying we are all our own brand. I mean, like it or not, in the world we live in today, you, if you want to, you are your brand no matter what you do, even if you don't think you're your brand. When you walk around the office, you're your brand, and people are forming opinions of you. You can control that, and you can create that, and you can learn to position yourself within um, the green movement or whatever the cause uh, by using... Social media tools. So the Lazy Environmentalist did start as a blog. And that was when I wrote that blog entry that I was describing about my own behavior. Actually, a radio producer uh, for an internet station saw that, called me up, eventually asked me if I wanted to host a show. And from there, um, the show went to Sirius Satellite Radio. So I would say, you know, the platform that I've been able to create. I owe quite a lot of it to social media. And we're still doing things with social media. And we're still trying to figure out how best to use social media to really engage an audience that's increasingly moving online. Let's talk
1: about climate change for a second. For for those who maybe are not aware, there seems to be a running debate uh, with climate scientists and meteorologists as far as is climate change real? Does it exist? So, uh, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert had something on Tuesday where he was doing this debate with a meteorologist and a climate scientist. The the, the majority of, of meteorologists who are speaking up are saying that climate change isn't real. So should we trust them, these, these people who only get it right about half the time? <laughs>
0: On television why, why do they feel this way what What do you think is the difference well'll me just give you my answer to 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 that question yeah. uh, frankly fr- from from my point of view i don 't really care whether it 's real or not. I mean, I happen to believe the science or the scientists, but all the things that we talk about on our show and uh, and everything that we 're trying to do is really about saying. This is a green product. It's going to reduce your impact on the planet. It, it's probably going to reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. It's going to, re- or, or your, or your water consumption, or or some behavior that you're doing that has an impact. It's also going to improve your life. So whether or not you know, whatever your personal politics. This is about your quality of life here and the things that, see, this is the thing about our, our conversation that I get excited about, about the lazy environmentalist, is that I'm not saying, hey, let me put force my environmental values on you and you be like me because I care. What, what, I'm, what, what we say on the show is tell me what's important to you in your life or in your business or you know just the way you, that you want to be and what you aspire to, and I'm going to show you environmental alternatives that will reduce your impact and enable you to live that way or perhaps better. If you can do that, right, and if you can show that, hey, the green solutions actually make your life better, who wouldn't want to do that? And I believe that that's increasingly possible. Not all green solutions do that, but that's why we try and curate the best ones so that people come to that own realization for themselves.
1: Yeah. Was there a particular episode or a moment on an episode in the show where you had a real sense of victory when you got to show someone a product that did, that did it better than what they were doing before but with a green product? Was there one that sticks out in your head as something that really made an impact?
0: Yeah, we we as we were as we were getting down toward the 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 end of the season, and we were we were trying to um, do a show called Lazy Athlete, and we were just having trouble finding an athlete who was available and willing to come on and, and, and be greened, and and uh, eventually we got the the national Taekwondo champion uh, to come on the show, and I just thought, what the heck are we going to even do? I mean, the dude's just like, you know in his shorts in a gym, kicking all day, like, the dude has no impact, you know? But what we started to realize when we looked into the issues around athletes is that, you know, athletes are consuming just, I mean, literally their food, like, three times if not more food than the average person, right, to to get all those calories and and to, to fuel up. So, we took James to, uh, I brought in a a sports nutrition uh, professor and doctor from, I think he's a doctor, from um, Stanford University. And the, the, the essence of the conversation we had, I mean, first, you know, I'm talking with this doctor, we're having this very highfalutin environmental conversation. You know, James, the Taekwondo guy, is basically like, honestly, I don't understand anything the two of you are saying, and I don't even really care. But then the, the doctor is like, look, James, what I'm really saying is organic food you know, inherently is s- stronger food because it can't rely on pesticides and insecticides to grow and thrive. It has to learn to fend for itself. What that really means is that it has higher antioxidant content. And what that means for you is that... When you're training really hard, you need more antioxidants to recover and recover quickly. So here's the basic. Here it is, James. If you eat organic, because this is stronger food in terms of recovery, and you work out three times a, three times a day, you will recover faster, and you will work out better, and you will be uh, a better. You know, you will be in better condition to win gold at the 2012 Olympics. That made a lot of sense to James. And so James tried it, and we had some pretty good success on that one. And I loved it because I loved also the framing of the issue. right? And this is what I mean about self-interest. It wasn't like, do go organic to save the planet. It was like, go organic to win gold in 2012. And that is an awesome message.
1: Yeah, that's great. I have some other questions, but I want to make sure that we have a chance for people in the audience to ask questions. So I want to turn it over to you for a second and, uh, and see if you all have any questions, and if you don't, I have some more, but uh, we have a guy with the mic over there, so just raise your hand. Josh, have you done any follow-up on the people that you work with last season, and have they continued to do the things you discussed on the TV show? I'm sure not all of them have continued, but have the majority of them continued to do the things that you discussed on each episode?
0: Uh, we did some follow up. We greened a chef uh, in season one, and we came back to his kitchen to see if he was still in, in embracing the the stuff that we showed him. Um, I'm blanking on the oh, we found a company for him called Spud, uh, which on the West Coast will actually deliver local, organically grown food to your house. It's pretty cool. Um, so he was kind of into that, um, but he was kind of a finicky guy because he's like, "Well, I need to be able to touch every fruit and vegetable. If I'm a chef. I can't just see, you know." Stuff that made sense, um, and it was a mixed bag. Some things he was doing, and uh, some things he wasn't. We had actually presented him with. Uh, I mean, this is something. It's a it's a quick fix, and a lot of people do it already. Like a Britta pitcher. I mean, Britta's a, a a great sponsor of our show, and he didn't have one, and he was into that. I mean, and Britta also has this really cool campaign, Filter for Good, which I'm part of. So filterforgood.com, get your reusable water bottle. And he was into those kinds of things. Uh, but it's a mixed bag. I mean, the thing that happens on the show is that people have such a great experience with our crew. Um, I mean, it's, we're, you know, it's, they get to be on TV. They, it, it's long days, but they, they end up enjoying it. And sometimes they forget how resistant they were, they were supposed to be or they told us they were to these solutions because they're like, oh, yeah, you guys are all so awesome. I'll do this. I'll do this. And you start like, wait a second you told me like an hour ago that you weren't going to do any of this. Like, what do you mean you're going to do it now? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. just, you know, they get caught up in the, in the moment sometimes. So, um, so with that said, when you come back, you know, a year later, we're making change, but we're not, you know, it's not 100% for sure.
1: Great. Someone in the back had a question too, right around there.
0: Uh, um, I was wondering if there was a, a person or an event per se that helped you achieve or realize your legacy? Well, I would say that um, I'm not sure that this will directly answer your question. But I would say that what inspired me or, or kind of my aha moment to, to start to get into green happened um, in um, 1995. I went to China and this was about a year after college. And I thought I was going to have a career in diplomacy. So I wanted to go learn the language, learn the culture. And I got a, a, a part-time job, which turned into a full-time job, traveling around the country selling kryptonite bike locks. At the time, I mean, everybody in China rode a bike. There's over a billion people. It seemed like a pretty good idea. and. Um, you know, I didn't know a lot about business, so it just took me a while to realize that the locks were actually more expensive than the bikes, and that could be an impediment to the millions I was hoping to make. The other thing that happened was that, because I was so focused on their transportation economy, uh, I started, well, one night I was traveling to a restaurant with a guy who owned a factory uh, in southern China, and we got to the restaurant. We were in his Mercedes, and he takes me to the back of his Mercedes, this Chinese guy, and he says, Josh, look, my, my Mercedes is this much bigger than every other Mercedes in the parking lot. You, know, you could see the pride in his face and how thrilled and excited. And I just started thinking like, right, no one here actually wants a bike, right? Everybody wants cars. They're, in this case, they're a lot like us back in the States. Who can blame them? And I started thinking about all the highways and bridges and tunnels I'd seen being built so quickly as I was traveling around the country. And I just started thinking, this truly seems, I you know I'm not an environmentalist, but this just seems like inherently unsustainable. Um, and so I would say probably the you know it's not like I've been personally inspired necessarily by a person but by, by that but I was moved to action by my, my the time I spent in China.
1: I want to talk for a second about uh, Obama recently um announced that, that he gave his approval. I think the legislation was either passed or he's going to start working on getting it passed. Offshore drilling in the U.S. A lot of environmentalists really, really unhappy about that. What about yourself? What are your thoughts on that? No pressure.
0: <laughs> um, well, I'm not thrilled about it. But I, but I, I, I think, you know, for, for just to tell you where I'm coming from, I mean, I, 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 would, I would personally give the guy a fair amount of slack... I think he's doing a pretty good job and I, and I think that he's the we have a tendency or those of us who are, you know, supporters of his have a, have had a tendency to write him off and say ah he doesn't know what he's doing or he's too weak or he's too this and he's affected some pretty good change. So, I don't necessarily I wouldn't I don't want to see that happen, but I do agree that, you know, as much as we want to see solar and as much as I believe solar could be way more prevalent Way more quickly uh, in this country, with um, you know, if the political will were there to do it, um, and, and even in terms of incentives and rebates and other things that you can do to, to move the economy in that direction, and I'd love to see more wind and all the other technologies—geothermal, wave, whatever—it's just not coming for a while. And there is a reality that we need a lot of energy. It's unfortunate. And the thing that that you know, being a, to some degree kind of like a China guy, that. Um, I think is important to be mindful of is that, you know, right now you have this country that's rising peacefully, right? And it's, um, and, but it's becoming increasingly powerful and rarely in history does that happen that, that this situation where you have without something, you know, without a war and the, and if there's not enough energy, what's going to happen when people start trying to get the energy, right? And what happens when we're competing with China and other places for energy in the Middle East or elsewhere? It is a challenging, complex situation. So. That's what I think. <laughs> good enough. Good enough. Uh, we've, talked,
1: we've talked previously about um, how there really isn't a, a fix-all solution for everyone. Everyone has their own separate um, idea of how to be a more conscious citizen. But if you could give everyone here watching today and everyone who's going to be listening to the podcast um, just one way, just one thing that they could do after this presentation to be a little bit more greener in their life, uh, what would you suggest?
0: Well, I'll, I'll give you one that, that I imagine you'll probably agree with as well. Yeah. The, it, um, a, a few years ago, there was a concert that took place, the Live Earth Concerts, that happened on every continent around the world to try and raise awareness about these issues. And there were some really cool, very well-done PSAs that were airing um, at the concert. And one of them was was talking about um, agricultural production, meat production, the impact that that this industry has on the, on the on the globe on greenhouse gas emissions and i'm i'm told i'm not sure exactly but that the the greenhouse gas emissions associated with the meat industry with agriculture are larger than those associated with transportation or all are...
1: transportation in the world combined
0: okay so i would simply say there's an organization called meatlessmonday.org if you if we just all elected to eat less meat at least one day a week, we don't have to call ourselves a vegetarian or a vegan or these words that are so politically um, and ideologically charged, that would probably be, it might make us healthier, save us some money, probably pretty easy to do, um, and would be pretty good for the planet. Josh just knows he scored
1: huge points with me for that answer. A final question for you. Um, What's the future of the lazy environmentalist? What's next? Um, Obviously, the season's coming out on April 20th, and we're all really excited about that. What else is in store?
0: So yeah, we're very excited for this season. Yeah. Um, as I think you saw in that episode, the energy is much higher. I mean, if you've seen season one, we feel really good about the changes we put in place for that. Uh, I'm really right now focused on two things. I'm focused on all of the, the learning I've had in, uh, in terms of communicating the green message. The learning I've had from, from running a, a green retail company to being a spokesperson for campaigns to having a radio show and, and, and now the TV show about how you really effectively communicate a green message to get people either to take action or to support a, a green agenda. So I'm writing a book to that effect and we're actually starting a green communications consultancy to work both with the business community and policymakers to say, here's how you tell really good green stories to get people on board with change. And again, not based on environmental values but based on what's important to us as Americans. So that's one thing and then I've also kind of, I'm excited about the notion of, um, we're working on something or just kind of expanding our conversation in some ways. We're very focused on what, what I call awesome green ideas and and trying to be a place where we want to bring together, and we'll do this through lazyenvironmentalist.com and beyond, but really trying to, to understand what's happening at the cutting edge of green that's just awesome, that is just a trend that you want to know about. Um, and some things are like you know, the city of Boston is the first city in the US to put free Wi-Fi on their commuter trains. and the guy who was in charge of that program for, for um, you know up in Boston said this was the best thing they could have they've ever done to increase ridership on public transportation. And it was like this is so low cost compared to spending billions of dollars for high speed rail if we're trying to move people out of cars, you know? That's just awesome, great government, great policy, working well. So we want to capture those ideas, and we're doing it around this notion of well, awesome green ideas. Because that just makes me happy and inspires me. And I get, if I do that, then I'll wake up every day looking forward to what I get to do. That's awesome. And on that note, make sure that you check out The Lazy
1: Environmentalist on April 20th on the Sundance channel. And go to thelazyenvironmentalist.com to learn more. Thank you all so much for coming out tonight and for, uh, for all your participation. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Thank, thank you very much.
0: Thank you once again. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time. Josh Dorfman, Lazy Environmentalist, thank you very much.
1: Don't forget, this conversation and more located on Meet the Filmmaker right on iTunes. Apple.com forward slash Soho for all your upcoming events. And stick around. Camp Interactive's coming up next and you're not going to want to miss it.